just getting out there in the community with creativity, the grace that's on this church, and fulfilling a prophetic word. It's like, these are incredible times to live in. And it's like, but here's the thing. It's, it all comes down to this. We are convinced that God is in the business of doing wonderful things in people's lives. And it comes down to the fact that when Jesus came, he told us what he was about. He quoted this passage from Isaiah 61. See this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do these kind of things. To people who are poor and feel they've got nothing, I come to bring good news to them. You know, to people who are brokenhearted, I come to bind up their hearts so they feel whole again. You know, to proclaim freedom for the captives, for who people who feel trapped and in bondage. I come and I set them free and they walk into a new day. You know, and to people in darkness, for people in dark places in prison, I come and I bring them out into the light. I've come here to announce God's favor is on people. You know, and the vengeance is on the enemies that are destroying people. And it's like, we're convinced that's what Jesus is about. But, you know, but then he goes on to it and he talks about this incredible divine exchange. People who are mourning suddenly find comfort. You know, people, grief is about loss. To provide for those who, gr who grieve where there's been loss, instead there's going to be provision. You know, where you've got ashes, the ashes represent burnt dreams, lost dreams. No, in the place of that, I'm going to give a crown of beauty. Where there's mourning, I'm going to give joy. Where there's despair, I'm going to give praise. Because he says, do you know what? I'm in the business of stepping into broken people's lives and building something incredible for this, for the display of his splendor. God wants to make something amazing out of people's lives. And every one of those stories of the last two weeks is the story of Jesus going into somebody's world and says, if you'll just open your heart to me, if you'll let me into your world, I'm going to do something amazing. It's kind of like this picture of our lives as like a little broken down little cottage. And it's small and it's a bit broken and it's a bit dreary and it's a bit dark. And Jesus has said, if you'll let me into your world, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make a mansion. I'm going to make something spectacular out of your life. When I bring a new beginning, I'm doing something incredible in your life. Uh, many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. He said this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. He asks permission. He knocks on the door. Would you let me come into your house? your home. And when we let him in, it says, at first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. Like, oh yeah, I've got a few issues. It'd be good, Jesus, if you could come and fix that up. So he's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation that it he is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Every one of those stories the last few weeks is someone who is living in a small little broken world that Jesus has said, if you'll give me permission, if you'll open the door, I'll come and I'll make something wonderful out of your life. And that's why it's so exciting, the stories of the last few weeks.
Anyone used to watch this program? It's a bit old now. But that was like, yeah, that was crazy, eh? Like, supposed to be extreme. They come into homes of people are like, our homes are a bit broken, it doesn't work. And it was supposed to be a makeover, but they ended up, they always just kind of bowl it and build a mansion in its place. But it's quite, a, it's quite a good picture of what Jesus comes to do. Jesus is in, the, is in the business of new beginnings. But the scale of what he wants to do, the beauty of what he wants to do is mind-boggling. He wants to take your small, broken life and make something wonderful. That's what he's in the business of. You know, there's a whole lot of pictures about Jesus kind of knocking on the door. It comes from this passage in Revelation 3. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And it all starts, he's like, I'm just knocking. I'm just knocking. I'd love to come in and be your friend. And even more of that, I'd like you to come to a point where you understood that I'm not just there as your guest, uh, but that you gave me the keys. And you said, Jesus, actually, you can look after this place better than me. But then even beyond that, he'd say, will you trust me to actually lead you out of this place, to let this little world come to an end and lead you into something spectacular? Because that's what I'm doing. I'm in the business of new beginnings. I want to take your little broken world and I want to turn it into a mansion. But how does he do that? Where does he start? Well, we used to live in Christchurch during the earthquakes, and one of the things that happened in earthquakes is this, that sometimes the foundations got wrecked. And it's like, you can paper over the cracks in the walls and you can paint over the things, but it's all a waste of time until the foundations get sorted. And it's like, if God, let me back up. If your life is like a little house that God wants to transform, one of the things he's going to do is he wants to come in and get the foundations right. And Jesus and the Bible talk a lot about foundations. Jesus talked about the story, anyone who hears his word of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. The foundations were right. Come on, Jesus wants to transform your life, but he's got to get the foundations right. He, he just doesn't want to paint over the cracks. He's like, no, no, I'm going to the root of this thing. We've got we to go right down to the boat. We've got to get the foundations right. You know, the Apostle Paul, similarly, he said, by grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. It's like, you've got to get the foundation right. Come on, Jesus is doing wonderful new beginnings in people's lives, but you've got to get the foundation right. And it's like, then you can build on that all kinds of things, but, but you've got to get the foundation right. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about, come on, God wants to do something wonderful in your life, but it's like, he wants to get the foundation right. And, uh, and, and in Hebrews talks about the foundation of what God's going to do. It's this passage, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken full to maturity, not laying again the foundation of what? Of repentance, of faith, of instruction about baptisms, about laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead and eternal life. The guy's like, come on, these are the foundations for this new thing God wants to do in your life. It's like, yeah, you've got to repent and you've got to believe in God. You've got to have the big picture of where this is going in terms of one day you're going to stand before your maker and give an account. But, the, but it's the third and fourth one that are the interesting ones. It's like, come on, th- these are really important. Like, you've you got to understand the place of baptism 
baptisms of the baptism in water and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism just means immersion. This weird little ritual that we get immersed in water and then this reality that we get immersed in the power of the Spirit and the, and the role of people laying hands on you to do that. And it's like, you, you, know, you don't have the foundation to start this thing if you haven't got those things. And it's like, I want to build something wonderful in your life, but you've got to get the foundations right. And that's why I'm so excited that Pastor Sam, as he's reflected on these last few weeks, he's like, do you know what? The next step for us, we're going to have a massive baptism Sunday. It's happening in two weeks' time. Every service in every equipper's campus around Auckland is going to be baptism. And it's like, and, and if you're here this morning, I tried to show you from Scripture that, that this is more important than we realize because it's the foundation. And Jesus is like, I'm knocking on the door. I want to do something amazing in your life. But, you, but we've got to do the foundations right. Let me just show you. Uh, I'm not going to do all the verses we did this morning, but that this is a foundation. So Acts chapter 2, the start of the church. When the day of Pentecost came, you know, they're all together in one place. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven filled the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. Amazing. There's a move of God. We're in a move of God. This is the first move of God. But a group of people step up after Peter's preached, and they say, what do we do about this? How do we respond? How do we cooperate with this thing? And Peter says three things, and there's a fourth implied. You need to repent. They've already believed. And then, and you need to be baptized, every one of you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like, if you want to engage with this thing, if you want to cooperate with what Jesus is doing in your life, there's four things you've got to get right. You've got to have a change of mind. You've got to believe in Jesus. But then you've got to do this weird thing of letting, coming along with some shorts and a T-shirt and letting someone dunk you in some water, come out the other side and pray for you. And you go, what, why is that so important? Well, before we say why it's important, let me show you that it is important. And so Acts chapter 2, as I said this morning, we often skip over this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added. They had a mass baptism service because they understood, we've got to put the foundations right. We don't want to try and build something that doesn't have the foundations right. Yeah, it's great that you've seen this. It's great. But we've got to put a foundation in, and baptism is a foundation. You know, I'm not going to go through all the passages and acts we went through this morning, but just three stories that show an unusual urgency, an unusual sense like this is really important. And, uh, and, and so this morning we talked about this, this incident where Philip with this uh, Ethiopian uh, government official is driving down the road in his chariot and, and the spirit prompts Philip to go and talk to this guy. Uh, down in uh, verse 29. And then Philip runs up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Ask him, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up with him. And it just says this, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And this is what it says. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, I wonder what you think he told him. But here's the deal. The very next thing that the guy says as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the guy said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of being, being baptized? The guy actually understood the next step for me is I've got to get dunked in that water. 
why? Like, why was it so important? But somehow Peter, uh, Philip had explained, this is how you respond. This is how you build the foundation. This is the next step for you, getting baptized. Uh, then another story, the next chapter over, Saul. I mean, talk about someone whose life needed a new beginning. He's terrorizing the church. He's persecuting the church. He's killing Christians. And, and he gets a letter to go to Damascus uh, to to persecute them, and in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So they get up, take him into the city, so that because he's blind, uh, the men have to lead him in. And verse 9, for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink, any, eat or drink anything. See, I, I googled, apparently after 48 hours you start getting dehydrated, after three days you're in trouble. So he hasn't eaten or drank anything for three days. Then this guy arrives, or Ananias gets told to go and pray for him. And this is when he arrived. He went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again this. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Like seriously, three days, nothing eating, nothing drinking, being blind, whole world turned upside down desperately needs to eat, but it's like, first thing, i got to get better, get baptized. Guy with Philip, here's some water, i got to get baptized. Paul, i got to get baptized. They understood, and it, it's like, just accept for a minute, like, maybe there's something more to this than I thought. Because there's a sense of urgency, a sense of priority, sense of immediacy, like, this needs to happen now. Otherwise, I'm building something without the right foundation. You know, it's interesting, later on in Acts, um, Paul tells his own account of this incident, and he, he phrases it a bit differently. He talked about how this guy Ananias came to see him, how he prayed, how he could see. But, um, but down in uh, verse 14, then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know as well, to see the righteous one, to hear words from his mouth. You will be as witness to all people of what you've seen and heard this. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. Like seriously, the guy's been lying there for three days, hasn't eaten, hasn't drunk anything, been blind, whole world turns upside down. Mr. Pastoral Heart Guy, what are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Like This is important, Paul. This is the foundation for you. God's got great things for your life. God has stepped into your world. He's transformed your world. But come on, you can't wait. You can eat afterwards. You can regain. But right now, what you need, you need to get baptized. It's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And, and the third story is the story of Paul and Silas. You know, they're, they're in prison, they're praying and singing. Suddenly there's an earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken, the doors fly open, everyone's chains come off. Talk about a supernatural move of God. The jailer wakes up, he thinks he's in trouble because all his prisoners are going to escape, so he's going to kill himself. Paul shouted, don't worry, we're all here. Jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Brought them out, asked, what my, and he asked the same question. What do I got to do? How do I respond to this? What do I do about being part of a move of God? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. This, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others. This, remember what it said, around midnight. So this is like now, like one, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And what happens? 
At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer then brought them into his house and set a meal before him. Like, this can't wait, three o'clock at night. We've just, we've understood now, God has broken into our world. I need to respond to this. We need to get baptized. It's amazing stories. So it's, not, it's, a, it's no surprise that Pastor Sam would say, we've just been part of an amazing move of God. We need to have a massive baptism Sunday because we need to do right by you. We need to put the foundations in place that empower you to go forward because Jesus has just broken into your world and he wants to do something wonderful, but you've got to build on the right foundations. It's more important than we think. Why did they think baptism was such a big deal? Here's the answer, because they thought becoming a Christian was a big deal. I said this morning, I think we often kind of accessorize Jesus. I'll just try him for a bit. But becoming a Christian is far more radical than accessorizing Jesus. And, And when you get that, you understand why baptism is significant, what, why dunk people in water? What a crazy thing to do. Part of it is to understand the background in the Bible. And, and there are a number of incidents in the Old Testament that involve people going through a lot of water. And, and they have a message that helps you understand what baptism represents. And when you understand what it represents, you get the right foundation in your life. So, right, let me show you a couple of passages. Many of you would have heard about the story of Noah's Ark, Right? Bad world, lots of violence, lots of brokenness, big flood, a small group of people get carried through the water to the other side to a fresh new beginning. In case you don't get it, Peter tells you, long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water, and this symbolizes baptism. Baptism is not like a little splash of some new cologne. It's not like a little wash. Baptism is I once lived in this world and God has carried me through to a new beginning and a whole new world. I have a fresh start. We're launching something new. The second time that there was a whole lot of water after this one was around this guy, Moses. Again, we lived in slavery. We lived under an evil, oppressive power that was destroying us. But God led us out, and we passed through some water towards a promised land and a new beginning. And even here, what happened in the water, that the enemies got destroyed, and I stepped out of slavery, and I stepped out of bondage, and I stepped out of being held, and I stepped into a new beginning and walked into a new promised land. And Paul says the same. I, want, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors all passed through the sea. They were all baptized in Moses. They're like, this is the image, guys. It's not like I'm going to accessorize Jesus. It was like, I once lived in this world, and I'm passing through this into a, th- into a whole new world. And that's why you've got to get baptized, because it's a foundation that something really radical has happened. I just didn't add Jesus. My previous life finished and a new life started. I got a new beginning. Um, That's why that's so important. At the time of Jesus, 
weird guy came who we called John the Baptist. It was a new thing, you know. That was his title. Like, he's the guy that goes around dunking people in water. Why did he do that? Because what he was saying to Jewish people is, you think you're all right. You think you just need a little accessory or something. No, no, you need a whole new beginning. You need to acknowledge that you are living in a place of like that little broken down cottage. You need to pass into a whole new beginning. So you think that you're a good Jew, but you need to come and be baptized into something new. That didn't go down very well. Because how much more us? Baptism is an acknowledgement, not that, oh, well, I added a little bit of religion in my life. Baptism says the old life needed a new beginning, and I found it in Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Jesus then takes it to a whole new level, because that message of Jesus is death and resurrection. You die, and something new comes alive again. And do you know what? That's how they explain baptism. Romans 6, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may all have. Baptism is a symbol, not of a bath. Baptism is a symbol of a burial. You go in there because you're saying that old life has died. And when they pull you out of the water, you go, I'm standing in a new life in the supernatural resurrection power of Jesus. You know, Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him. That's, we put people under, it's a burial. We bring them back out, it's like a resurrection. Romans 6, if we've been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. See, we talk a lot about Jesus died on the cross for you. But that's only half the story, and it's only half the power. Because the other message is, you died on the cross with Jesus. See, it's one thing when the devil comes at you and throws all the guilt and all the shame and all the accusations that you say, Oh, Jesus paid for that on the cross. There's something more powerful that the devil hates when you went, that person that you're accusing has died. That person you're trying to put that shame on, they died. That person you're trying to put that guilt on, they died. This is a new person. There's a new person here. That person's finished. I want to tell you, the devil hates that, and that's why this is the foundation, that not just Jesus died for me, but Jesus led me on a path through his death and resurrection to something new and wonderful. That's the foundation. And then the interesting thing I said this morning is every other day of your life, that's what you build on. That's the fact but then you just choose to live that out when that old temptation comes back. Oh, no, that's that guy that died. I'm living in something new. When that old thought and guilt comes back, oh, no, that's that guy that died. I'm living in something new. 
And every day I start living that out. And every day I start stepping into the newness and the wonderful thing that God has done. You know, Galatians sums up, what is Christian life then when you've got the foundation right? Well, there's this fruit that comes of love and joy and peace and forbearance. and God. This is this wonderful mansion. This is this wonderful thing that God's doing in your life. But how does it work? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh I've died to the past. I'm living in the new. My only responsibility since I live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. I just keep following the Spirit's promptings. No, no, don't do that. Remember that guy died. No, do this instead. This is a new you. No, don't buy into that. That person died. No, keep walking here. And as I do that, that thing starts picking up momentum. And I find that where my life used to be this little broken down shack, it starts to look, starts to look like a bit of a mansion that displays God's splendor. That's why we're having a baptism service in two weeks, because you need to get the foundation right. When you put your hand up at Uprising, when you put your hand up at Equipers One, it wasn't like, oh, I'll, I'll accessorize Jesus for a bit and see if it works for me. No, it was saying, Jesus, I trust you not only to come into my life, I trust you to walk with you and let this thing end and trust you that something wonderful is going to come on the other side. I actually trust you. What do you do about that? I mentioned this morning two questions you might want to ask. The question that the Ethiopian guy, here's water, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? You've got two weeks to answer that question. What's standing in the way? Because come on, you're papering over cracks and stuff, but still you've got to sort the foundation. Come on, it's a, it's a foundation that you died and rose again with Jesus. Get the foundation right. You've got two weeks. If there's an issue, talk to someone, sort it out. But what can stand in the way of you being baptized in two weeks' time? But nothing. Was that, did I hear that? Nothing. That's good. Nothing. That's great when that just comes out. Nothing can stand in my way. I reckon we should have a whole lot of people getting baptized because we want to build a strong church and it's got to be built on the foundation and the foundation is a whole lot of people who are baptized. But then the second question, I love what Reggie did last week. You know, he appealed to people, but then he appealed to people to respond themselves, but then he appealed to people to challenge other people about responding. And this is what Ananias, you know, Mr. Hard, whatever. I mean, you know, this poor guy's lying there, wasted, and he says, "What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized." Maybe you need to, you need to have some conversations with some people. What are you waiting for? Not because we're trying to pressure people, but we want to get the foundation right because we want them to understand what God's doing. Baptism. I'm gonna try something a bit risky. She's gone. <laughs> Where's she gone? Um, where'd Mez go? Can I borrow you? Mez is the administrator at college. She organizes my life. Okay, we're gonna try something. We're gonna, we're gonna do a little play, okay? This is Mez, this is Jesus. Okay? Listen. Don't laugh. I have to come over this way. How does it start? It starts with Jesus just kind of like, 
that's what I, I'm not very good at this. It's like, it starts with this, Mez, when you're ready, I'll be really keen to come and be your friend. If you, I'm never going to force my way into your life, but if you'd open the door, I'd love to be in your life and be your friend. Can I be your friend? Sure. <laughs> that was a bit of a, come on, Mez, work with me, work with me. Okay. So then we come in. Okay. Now we're friends. We're chatting. KFC, McDonald's, except tomorrow it's Daniel Fast, whatever. I don't know what you do with friends with Daniel Fast. So then we go, Mez, I noticed that you're concerned about this area. I reckon I could sort that out for you. What do you think? Awesome. Awesome. Okay, then I'll sort this out. Then we go, Mez, this area, I reckon I could, I could make this a lot better for you. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> After a while, Mez starts to trust me. And then I say this, Mez... You welcomed me in as your friend, but you've seen the good that I do. I wonder if you'd be willing to trust me with the keys, and I organize this place for you. Would you trust me to do that? Of course. Awesome, she's good. <laughs> First level, will I open the door and let him in as a friend? Yeah. Second level, will I give him the keys? Third level is this. Mears, I'm going to ask you if you really trust me now. Because I know you feel safe in this place. But there's some places that are broken. There's some places that are little. And I've actually got something much bigger for you. But if we're going to build that, you're going to have to be willing to let go of this. So Mears, I want you to look me in the eyes and go, don't laugh. <laughs> and say, Mez, would you trust me to walk away from this, let it die, and trust me that I'm going to take you into something wonderful? Yeah, I do. That's very good. <laughs> I want you to give her a big clap. How about we stand? How about you stand? I'll keep my day job, I think. <laughs> right. I want to discourage you, maybe close your eyes, raise a hand or two. Jesus is in the business of doing beautiful things. It all starts with him just knocking. Would you let me in? I'm not going to force my way in. But if you look out the window, you see someone who bears the scars on his hands and his feet and his side. You can trust him. And you open your heart of it and you let him in as a friend. But then next level, would you actually trust him to give him the keys? Jesus, I think you could do a better job of organizing my life than I can. I've actually seen that you do beautiful things. I want you to do that in every part of my life. And I trust you with that. But here comes God's anointing around this. Here's the third level. You know that I love you. You trust me to do good things. What I'm asking you to do 
is let go of everything that's been. Let it die. And let me bring something new and wonderful. And in two weeks' time, a whole lot of people are going to go under the water. And what they're saying is, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you not just to let you in my life. I trust you not just to be the Lord of my life. I trust you to say, I let go of everything that's been. And I'm going to walk through to the other side, to a wonderful new beginning. And you're going to build something amazing out of my life. And it's going to be more beautiful than I can imagine. And when the devil trying to throws that stuff, I'm just going to say, but you're talking about that old house that's gone. We're building something new in Jesus, and it's wonderful. This guy's going to lead us in a song. I want you to just open your heart and worship Jesus. I want you to acknowledge that you trust Him, that you're going to give your life wholly to Him, that you're going to let Him lead you through that into something new.